you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks, this is Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Welcome to the big show, the Circus 10 in the Sky of Brainiums. I don't know what the hell that means. Brainiums of really smart people and really smart authors and all sorts of intelligence that you'll be delivered, that will pour down upon you like manna from heaven. And, of course, none of the intelligence comes from me. I'm just the damn host. But I'm Chris Voss. So, uh, as always, before we get to our amazing uh, guest that we have on the show today, uh, I think you're going to be hor- horribly entertained. That's that, what, what, you, what kind of <laughs> verbs are you picking today, Chris? I think you're going to be wonderfully entertained at the guests that we have on the show today. And so I'll just build it up that way. But in the meantime, the plugs, we must plug away because uh, that's what keeps the advertisers going and the uh, plates spinning and whatever is going on with this microphone, electronics, and the interwebs. Uh, go to goodreads.com for Chess Chris Voss. Go to youtube.com for Chess Chris Voss. And uh, LinkedIn, the big LinkedIn newsletter, all that crazy stuff we do on social media channels that uh, make it so you go, what the hell's going on over the Chris Voss show? We should check in and see. Uh, he is the author of an amazing set of books, uh, the Tom Clancy Zero Hour series, uh, his own books, a Matt Drink novels, uh, and he has his newest book coming out April 15th, 2023. The book is called Forgotten War, and this is part of a Matt Drake novel series. Don Bentley is on the show with us today. He's going to be talking to us about his amazing new book and some of the history and things that went into it and everything else. Uh, he is the New York Best Times best-selling author of Tom Clancy's Zero Hour, Tom Clancy, Target Acquired, and the Matt Drake series, uh, Without Sanction, The Outside Man, and Hostile Intent. In 2023, he was named as a new author for the Mitch Rapp series, begun by the late Vince Flynn. Uh, Don is a former FBI special agent. Uh, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to, uh, I don't know what, I don't have a joke for that. <laughs> He's a former FBI special agent. We had a couple on. We had, uh, we had, uh, we had Frank Fluguzzi on from the FBI. And uh, who else do we have? We had the gentleman uh, Peter uh, Struck on the show. We also mm-hmm. tried to get um, the recent uh, 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 head of the FBI on the show, but um, his people said, uh, um, yeah, no. So have you seen him lately? Uh, but it's the one gentleman who had the whole kerfuffle with Donald Trump. Um, the big six foot tall guy, I forget his name, but I would have loved to have had him on the show for his book. Anyway, uh, he is uh, a former FBI special agent, a SWAT team member, or a former SWAT team member. Is that a SWAT team member or a former SWAT team member? Former SWAT team member. Okay, well, you know, you can probably still do it today. You can take a couple <laughs> say, I don't know. Is there lunch ready? Uh, and an Army Apache helicopter pilot. Uh, welcome to the show, Don. How are you? Thanks so much for having me, Chris. But after that lead-in, I keep looking around to see who the smart person is you're bringing into this interview because it's, it's not you. me. It's you. It's you. <laughs> my audience has been listening to my crap. Wait, 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 wait. They're just like, please give us something new to listen to than, <laughs> than whatever your stick is. So, Don, uh, give us your .com where people need to find you on the interwebs. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's really easy. You can go to my web website at donbentleybooks.com. It's B-E-N-T-L-E-Y books.com. And once you're over there, you can sign up for my newsletter. I post everything that I'm working on. I don't always know exactly what I'm going to be working on next, but I try and let my newsletter subscribers know as soon as I do. So that's a great place to find me. There you go. So you've written a lot of different books. Let's let's talk about some of the different things you've written. I'm going to let you plug yep. away here. Give me give me the different variations of of what you've written with not only the Tom Clancy series but also your books. Sure, absolutely. So I am lucky enough to I'm I'm currently finishing the eighth book, which will be my fourth book in the Tom Clancy series, and uh, I've had the same editor for all of those. He's a guy named Tom Colgan. He's fantastic. He's edited everybody from Janet Ivanovich to Lee Child. And he also worked with Tom Clancy. I apologize. There are a lot of Toms in this story. And uh, (laughs) when Tom Clancy passed away, Tom Colgan was entrusted uh, with the Clancy estate. And so sometimes I get folks on uh, Facebook that say, how dare you profit off Tom Clancy's name? And I assure you, I'm not the one profiting off of Clancy's name. I like to explain it. It's a lot like how George Lucas created Star Wars and then invited other writers to come on and build in his universe. I get to do that in Tom Clancy's universe. And so my first book was a book called Without Sanction. And my second book was The Outside Man. And when I finished The Outside Man, my editor, Tom Colgan, at the end of the editorial call, which is kind of like being in fourth grade and and needing to face the teacher when you've forgotten your math homework at home. It's it's where you your editor tells you all the things that he or she wants you to fix in the book. And so at the very end, in a very Columbo-esque like moment, he said, how would you also like to write the Tom Clancy books? And I kind of looked at him for a minute and in my head, I was like, did he just say what I thought he said? <laughs> and so... Uh, I I assured him I was very flattered and I needed to think about it. And so I went and told my wife, I'm like, you never believe what just happened. And I told her and I was like, I'm going to tell him no. And she said, you're going to what? And I'm like, look, I got a full-time job. It's not at the point. And she's like, family meeting, kids get in here. And so they all came down and we talked about it and we agreed as a family that I'd give it a try. And the reason why we had to agree that is to keep going with my series and the Tom Clancy series I basically had to write a book every five months and I've been on that plan uh, for the last two years or so. And so the fourth book in my series, like you mentioned, is called Forgotten War and that comes out on April 25th. And then the fourth book and then I have two more Clancy books coming out. So I'll actually have three books um, coming out this year. And so at some point I would like a chance to sleep. Uh, Hopefully that'll be here pretty soon. Yeah, I was I was a little confused when I pulled up your Amazon page, and I'm like, okay, so what's the book? You know, because sometimes I'll just take the author and I'll be like, okay, pull yeah. up this book on Amazon, and I pulled it up, and you've got your book that we're going to be talking about today, Forgotten War, yep. Tom Clancy's Zero Hour, uh, yep. book of the Matt Drake series. This is right. uh, four book four of your series, and uh, and I'm like, okay, well that book's coming out, and then it's also got you can also pre-order Tom Clancy Flashpoint. And yes. Tom Clancy Weapons Great. And yes. Flashpoint comes out in May, the end of May, which mm-hmm. is a very short time from now. And yeah. uh, then you got Weapons Great in September. I'm like, yes. wow. Yeah. I mean, your wife doesn't like seeing you much. Is that no, the no, problem? No. She just, <laughs> as long as I make her coffee in the morning, she's happy. So if yeah. the coffee's ready, she can go without seeing me. That's, yeah. that's kind of what the And then she's part. off shopping with all that uh, cash. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Uh, you launched, I think, it, if I have this correctly, in 2020, the yep. uh, 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 Matt Drake thriller series. 
yeah. uh, without sanction. And yeah. that kind of took you down this whole road. Is that my understanding correctly? Yeah, that's right. So I had the incredible fortune to debut in the middle of this little thing we called COVID. And so I got about a week and a half into my book tour. You know, I'd, I'd written three books before that and, and took 17 years to do it because after you write a book and it doesn't sell, there has to be an appropriate period of time where you just sulk and are mad at the world. And so 17 <laughs> years, three books. If you don't count that, I'm pretty much an overnight success. But I'm finally at the point that all authors love. I'm going out to meet readers and show my book and the world shuts down. And so then I, I sit at my computer for the next two years trying to figure out why I wanted to be a writer in the first place. And so, yes, yes, um, that is me. And I can also sell you lottery tickets if you want losing numbers after this. I, I demand all of those things. Well, you know, I got to tell you that the, the COVID crisis helped write so many books. I wrote mine, uh, you know, that I put off for 10, 12 years. Uh, there's so many, there's so many great authors we have on the show yeah. that I, I'm like, what, what made you write this book? They're like, covid we're sitting around our house we're like well might as well write some crap uh and uh so you know they but they wrote some amazing stuff and we've had them on the show talking about it so this is your uh, the matt drake novels talk to us about who uh, who this character is and and some of the pathway that he's gone to and how this plays into the newest book forgotten war yeah absolutely so my uh, my editor, the other Tom, Tom Colgan, he, he likes to say that when you are making your debut as a fiction writer, you have to do something that's the same but different. And so Brad Taylor is a, is a good friend of mine. He's a New York Times bestselling author, was a Delta Force commando, and he writes a great series of books in this same genre that feature a character called Pike Logan. And so I'm never going to be able to write a better Brad Taylor book than Brad does but I have to write something close enough so that if a reader picks my book up, he or she understands why it's shelved in the same section as Brad's. Hmm. And so after writing, you know, three books that didn't sell, I kind of sat back down and said, okay, what am I trying to do as a writer that can be the same, um, but different. And so I did, it made a couple of intentional choices. So the first part is my protagonist is a guy named Matt Drake and I write him in a first person point of view. So that's insider uh, writer talk, just meaning that Matt is the one that tells the story. And the reason that I do that is that Nelson DeMille has been a huge influence on my writing. And so he's a fantastic writer, but he has this series that has a, a, a New York City cop named John Corey, and he writes it first person and he's so funny. And I remember reading my first John Corey book, which was Plum Island. And I told my wife afterwards, I'm like, I would read about that guy going grocery shopping because he's so funny and that voice is so engaging. And if, while I'm not that funny in person, if you give me enough time and I can rewrite the joke five or six times, I can write in a similar manner. And that is, is something that's not usually seen in this genre. And I said, okay, that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to write in a genre. Um, I'm going to use that first person kind of witty, sarcastic voice. And that's what Matt Drake is. The second thing I did is when I looked across this genre, there are a lot of special forces guys, a lot of Navy SEALs, a lot of CIA operatives. But when I was in the FBI, I got to know a different organization called the DIA, which is the Defense Intelligence Agency. So they have a very similar mission to the CIA, but it reports through the military chain of command. And most of the folks or a lot of the folks who are in it are actually military members. 
And so when I started researching this organization, the DIA and CIA fight over turf and mission and money. And there was just a lot of interesting conflict there. And so I took Matt Drake and made him what's called a case officer, which is a, a fancy word for a spy. And so his job is to run and recruit what in the intelligence community we call assets. When I was in the FBI, I had a similar job where my job was to run and recruit what we call sources. Mm -hmm. And so I, I took that and said, hey, that's something different as well. And then the third thing I did, you know, when I was doing uh, publicity for Without Sanction, I had a radio interviewer. She, she thought she was going to pin me to the wall. And she said, are you Matt Drake? And I said, you know, I am absolutely not Matt Drake, but I've stood in the same room with men who could be. And huh? so, you know, being in the FBI, I got to meet some very interesting people. But more than that, in the years since, before I wrote full time, my job was to work for companies who made and marketed products specifically to customers in the special operation and intelligence communities. And so I got to know them and know how they saw their world and know, you know, what, what they thought of things. And so Matt Drake is a former army ranger because three of my best friends are former army rangers. And that's why there are so many seal jokes in the book. I apologize ahead of time. If you're a Navy <laughs> seal, you will be offended. And so, you know, I hadn't seen that done. And then the final thing is that, a good friend of mine is a writer named Nick Petrie, and, and he said, you know, the, in, in, in good books, in really good books, what the author is, is doing is wrestling with something of themselves in the pages of that book. And so in the three books I wrote that didn't sell, I was never really brave enough to get in and say, what makes me, what keeps me up at night? What are the things that I'm wrestling in? And mm -hmm. I was in Afghanistan and in 2005, June 28th, 2005. I was the air mission commander for a quick reactionary force that was trying to rescue four SEALs and we weren't successful. And the helicopter in front of me that, that I was trying to protect um, was shot down and everybody on it on board was killed. And so that was um, that entire sequence was part of something called Operation Red Wings, which Marcus Luttrell wrote about in the book Lone Survivor. And, you know, I had to wrestle with that and wrestle with I'd spent my entire life training for that moment. It went sideways. I couldn't stop it. And how do I ever get that back? And so that I also gave to, to Matt Drake and made him wrestle with it in the form of in without sanction. He has a, an asset that um, is killed and his family's murdered and he thinks it's his fault. And so doing that kind of stuff, I think, helps lend veracity to the book, even though it's fiction and it resonates with readers. And Forgotten War is the same way. Forgotten War takes place during our 2021 withdrawal from Afghanistan. And while the book is certainly fiction, many of the events depicted in there were either real or were based on real events. And certainly the conversations between the characters and what they're feeling as they're watching their life's work, 20 years worth of blood, sweat, and tears crumble is accurately reflected of those conversations. And so I hope that book uh, can resonate with folks in the same way my others have. There you go, and and the book is billed as as a, as a book that will resonate with veterans, uh, and then it seems like a lot of other people, according to my Facebook yeah. page, uh, really love it as well. That are civilians, um, yeah. and it sounds like a lot of your experience really is poured into the book, and you know the characters that are built in the book and designing of it. It sounds like that's that's really important in in how you built out everything in the book. It is absolutely. And it's not. And just to be clear, I wanted to take more. Um, what I tell folks all the time is my, my wife likes to say that I can't figure out what I want to do when I grow up, which is which is true. But I like to say kind of what I said before is that my 
the thing I bring to writing isn't that I was a, a Delta Force commando like my friend Brad, but I got to meet the people who were. And so one of my best friends who still serves as my subject matter expert for my books was a Delta Force commando. And one, during his first operation or his first deployment in Delta Force was as part of um, Gothic Serpent, which we all know by the movie Black Hawk Down. And so he told me a story as part of that, that when those helicopters were shot down, and the assaulters, the Delta Force and Ranger assaulters were on the crash rescuing people. They knew that the guys inside were already dead. They knew that they wow. were dead and they were still getting their bodies out as they were under fire from bad guys. And so when you look at that, when you and I look at that, you think, what sense does that make? Like, why would you risk the living for the dead? But to them, it is a sacred oath that they will never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy. And so they look at each other and swear, hey, I can't guarantee that you will come home alive, but by God, you will come home. And I saw yeah. that firsthand in Afghanistan when that operation went tragically wrong. The war, for all intents and purposes, stopped until we would recovered every single one of our fallen comrades. And that's something that's unique to the U.S. military. I mean, we're still repatriating remains of folks from the Korean world war or world war two. And that's not something that people who haven't had the pleasure of serving in the military know about. And so I thought, you know, if I can provide a window into the men and in some cases, women who could be real characters in the book, maybe that'll be another way to kind of set me apart from the lots of other amazing authors that do that. And so you know, I've been, like I said, I've been lucky enough to have many of those people for friends and customers and you just buy them a beer and sit and listen as they tell stories. And, and so I try to honor a lot of them in my books. Um, a lot of the characters are either based on them or the names are slightly changed. Now, the one thing I do to kind of stick the knife in and turn it is if they're a Navy SEAL, I make them an Army Ranger. And if they're a Ranger, I make them a SEAL or a Green Beret. And so they get really angry at that. I think it's pretty funny, but that's the price for talking to a writer. Oh, there you go. There you go. You know, I, I when I was a uh, when I was growing up in uh, as a Boy Scout, uh, our scoutmaster was going through Navy SEAL or not Navy SEAL training. I've seen that with uh, another friend of mine, but he was going through Army Ranger training. He mm -hmm. would talk to us about what they would do to you know to. Yeah. to you know get get prepared and then of course uh to get yeah. tested out for it it was just extraordinary i was just like holy yeah. crap and uh it, the the amount of danger and work and stuff that goes into it is just and and i think it's good for a lot of people to be be aware of of uh the work that goes into it you know we the military what we train with when it comes to leadership and mm -hmm. and uh and and the soldiers we build are great and you mentioned before you know the uh, taking care of our wounded and our dead and making sure that they're honored correctly. Uh, you know, you see that in the war with you, the Ukraine with Russia, where, you know, they just left the people yeah. on the battlefield. Yeah. And unfortunately yeah. they don't have a press that's, you know, like our fourth estate where, um, you know, they can report on that stuff and go, Hey, they, they, these guys aren't taking care of those folks, yeah. but uh, that's, that's, that's the highest, one of the highest honors we can bestow is 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 for their service and what they've done for this country and freedom and, and i think that's what's great about your books is you have that experience of, of being a veteran you have it from several different facets it sounds like from the fbi experience and everything yeah. else where you can pour this into book why did you choose the title forgotten war yeah because i think if you look at afghanistan and mm -hmm. you know it was it was a 20 year plus war 
And I think what what happened um, certainly after 9/11, there was a need to go um, to go make sure that the people, specifically Al Qaeda, who planned that attack and executed it, weren't in the position to do it again, right? But I think what happened, unfortunately, after that, after that mission, initial mission set was by and large completed, is that when Iraq kicked off, it pulled the focus away from Afghanistan. And so you had large period of times. In fact, I think it was Donald Rumsfeld who at one point said, in Iraq, we do what we must. So in Afghanistan, we do what we can. And so what happened is that, you know, the majority of the resources or a large part of the resources went to Iraq and to tracking down people in Iraq. And so... Afghanistan for a number of years became just a steady state place where you had, you know, the, the generals in charge um, specifically, but even more importantly, the politicians, I don't think could articulate a, a accurate statement of why are we still there? What are we trying to accomplish? You know, what, what is it, what is it here that is still worth risking America's sons and daughters for? And, you know, I have a, my son was born shortly after September 11th, and he is now um, pursuing a commission in the Marine Corps. And as a father, I just found it abhorrent to think that my son, 20 plus years later, could potentially have to deploy to Afghanistan to do what? And But at the same time, I think the way in which we withdrew from Afghanistan just crushed us. You know, it, it crushed the people who served there. It crushed the the families who lost, you know, spouses and husbands and daughters and wives and stuff there. And and to say, you know, I think I think a lot of veterans would have been okay with us withdrawing or okay with it ending, but just not ending that way. And so yeah. the thing that I was getting from that as I was watching is all these texts from friends and stuff who were who were saying, you know was it worth it? Was any of it worth it? And, and that is what went into writing Forgotten War. And the second part, you know, the amazing aspect, one of the amazing aspects of the withdrawal was how much was done by civilians, by people who were former military or, or sometimes not, who just got on planes, went to Afghanistan and said, by God, as Americans, we told these people, we told these interpreters, we told these people who fought alongside us, if you stand up next to us, we'll take care of you. And our word still matters. And we're going to do that. And I think maybe not since Dunkirk in World War II, where the British people saved the British army from, from extermination, has there been such an effort that was led in large part by civilians, you know, the Pineapple Express, things like that. And so all of that went into Forgotten War, where I wanted to show what would my characters think? And not only that, to to and, and this book was the hardest one from the standpoint of I took a lot of actual events and then wove them into the narrative. And so I had to be really, really careful. And in some cases, I took some liberties to do that. But I wanted to show not just tell a good story, but show the effect that that was having on the psyche of Americans, war, Americans warriors, because, you know, the crazy thing about this forgotten war for 20 years is that less than one quarter of 1% of the American population served in Afghanistan. And mm -hmm. so for 20 years, an all volunteer force of a fraction of the population bore our nation's wartime burdens, not just willingly, but most of them deployed either to Afghanistan and Iraq several times. And it's just crazy. Like I can't, I can't imagine another time in the history of human combat has that happened before. And yeah. all of that went into writing forgotten war. There you go. It, it's, 
it's interesting that you can pour all this in there and, and at least pay it on an homage, I suppose. Yeah. Would you do? Is that a is that an accurate description that it's an homage? Absolutely. Maybe maybe not to the you know how it ended, but but to the men and women and the people who who uh, were there and and fought and uh, and tried to make the best of it in spite of everything. Absolutely, and you can see you know Forgotten War is a little bit different. Uh, the other thing my my editor Tom says is that what a what separates a great writer from a good writer is that a great writer pushes the envelope with every single book. They, he or she tries something different. You know, Mark Graney is one of his writers as well. Mark Graney does the Gray Man series and just had the Gray Man movie come out. And Tom likes to say that Mark is at the point in his career where he could mail it in if he wanted to. He could write, here's another episode of the Gray Man, but he refuses to do that because he's such a great writer. And so when I sat down to write Forgotten War, there were a couple of things I wanted to do. Number one, I certainly wanted to have the homage that you talked to. Like, here are the men and women who serve on your behalf. Maybe you don't know one. And so let me show you a little bit of what they look like, what the men and women look like and how they think. The second thing I wanted to do is my book is based on a friendship between Matt Drake and a guy who goes by his call sign Frodo. And so Frodo, Matt Drake is a white boy who grew up outside of Salt Lake City on a ranch. Frodo is an African-American outside of Philly who never went to college and they're best friends. And that's emblematic of my time in the military is that the military, maybe better than any other institution, serves as a melting pot, uh, pot where people from all backgrounds, all races, you know, genders, creeds and stuff come together and form those unbreakable relationships. And the readers have really loved Matt and Frodo together. And I thought, you know, wouldn't it be really neat to show one of their first operations together? And so part of Forgotten War shows something that happened 10 years earlier in an operation that went sideways with Matt and Frodo. And then mm -hmm. part of it also shows like during the, the fall of Afghanistan, what was it like over there? What was it like as people were trying to go out and honor those blood oaths that they swore to their Afghan partners? And so mm -hmm. that was, that was part of the, the complexity of the book certainly. And then hopefully the enjoyment the reader gets when they dig into it. There you go. You mentioned uh, you mentioned Mark on the show. Mark, uh, we were to have it. Mark uh, Greeny on the show. We had him actually on a few months ago for his recent book, and uh, it was great to talk to him about his stuff. So we'll get a plug in there for him and the plug for the yeah. show we did. You know, the other thing you mentioned, we also had Elliot Ackerman on the show. Uh, he's been on twice. He he was on with the book with James Admiral. Uh, Stavridis, yeah. Stavridis. I knew I was going to mess that up if I tried <laughs> swinging it. But yeah, Elliot's been on twice, and the second time he came on was for his book, The Fifth Act, America's mm -hmm. End in Afghanistan. And at the time he came on, he was still actively making calls and trying to get people mm -hmm. out of Afghanistan, you know, the interpreters and, and different people. And, um, uh, you know, he was going through, he's like, you know, I, I, I'm still going through it today. Uh, mm -hmm. making calls and taking calls and trying to get people out. And there's people that are, you know, they're, they're making private airplanes and flying yeah. in, trying to do stuff and um, just extraordinary work and, and the care and love of the people that were there and people stood yeah. behind us and trying to honor that promise yeah. that we gave to those people. And, you know, I think even now we're still, we're still dealing with the fallout of it. Um, we also, I mentioned the green when we were talking before we had grand illusion yesterday on the rise and fall of American ambition in yeah. uh, the middle East. And 
talking about how each administration came in with this the last 40 years with this whole we're you know we have this mandate you know we've been elected we're gods of the world we'll fix everything and then you know just continuing to have crisis after crisis in the middle east uh in the book uh anything more you can tease out on you know one of the things about novels is we can't give away the endings and much of the middle yeah. part anything you want to tease out more on uh the book that we should know yeah so one of the things that makes again that makes um forgotten war a little bit unique in my series is that it is also uh, a bit of a mystery so from the standpoint of um when the book kicks off matt and frodo are in a bar and Frodo gets arrested by army CID agents for murder. And, and it turns oh. out the murder took place during that operation I referenced that occurred mm -hmm. um, 10 years ago. And so as Matt starts to dig into that, what he realizes is that all of the men who were on that operation begin to die under mysterious circumstances. And so mm -hmm. he has to go back to Afghanistan because the only person who um, knows actually what happened in the room where the murder, quote unquote, murder took place was their Afghanistan or their Afghan interpreter. And so you get to see that as well. And then just like I said, a, a ton of I've tried to incorporate as many different stories as I could at the same time. And then and then what drive my books, I think, or make my books different is the sense of heart that's there. And so my character, Matt, is married um, to a woman uh, named Lila, who is half Afghan and half Pakistani. And so mm -hmm. she has family that's in um, Kabul at the time that the Taliban is taking over. And so that's one of the things Matt's trying to do, too. And I think like those relationships, the sense of heart between Matt and his wife, Matt and his friends, the service member that served together. Again, that's something that I thought was most magical about my time in the military, that if you're not part of that brother and sisterhood, you don't ever really experience, I think, anywhere else. You know, combat is is a crucible that's unlike any other. And when you come out of that, you're changed and the relationships with the people that you went inside are changed with. You know, after after I had a, a mission that went south in Afghanistan, I remember flying the next day and trying to get a sense of who I was and whether I even still deserved to be flying and could do that job. And I was going down one way on a ring route and my best friend, who was the troop commander, was coming the other way. And as we went, he just clicked on the radio and, and called over to me. And, he, and just the sound of his voice reminded me that I wasn't here alone, that there was that if I got in trouble, there were people standing on that wall who would, by God, drop everything to come in and get me. And that and a lot of people talk about that. You know, you talk about that in the civilian life. If I got your back, man, I got I got you. You get a beer or two in you and you got everybody's back. Right. But yeah. then when you see it actually played out in real life and those guys are are people that are still on my speed dial now. And it's funny, one of my uh, best friends that was the Army Ranger, when when people come, when guys come to date his teenage daughter, he sits them down and says, I'm a nice guy, but I've got on my Rolodex a bunch of rough men who will come and do violence on my behalf. So just, just keep that in mind. Yeah. In cheek, but it also isn't from the standpoint yeah. because once you've been through that crucible together, you're forever changed. Yeah, there's a brotherhood to it. I remember yeah. uh, one of my uh, friends was a uh, was a sniper in Iraq, and he was going back for his fourth tour of duty. And I was like, dude, you've gone through three tours of duty, and you yeah. you want to go back, and you don't have to go back. And he goes, I want to go back. He goes, I'm really lost here. Um, and we've had a few people on, on the show that have written books and talked about, um, PTSD and, 
and 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 some of the issues of 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 uh, you know dealing with the damage from the war, but also the lack of brotherhood uh, that you that you have when you leave, and and you're so used yeah. to that, you know. And any my friend told me he says he says Chris, when I'm there, I have everyone has my back. When I'm here, I'm alone. Yeah. It was it's kind of like Rambo without the Hollywood hype. Um, and you know, and and he was like, when I go back there, I know people behind me. I have the brotherhood. I'm I'm in family. Where here yeah. I'm not, even though I have a family. I just it's not the same. Yeah. And uh, the way he described it to me, I just I just went, oh, wow, I get it, man. But uh, you know, you're also putting your life on your line. But I mean, I I, I think it's maybe it's a very manly protector provider sort of thing, where the you know the the honor and the and the and the yeah. protecting his brothers and and stuff. And yeah, you don't you don't have that now. You know, people yeah. like you say will be like. I got your back, man. And you know, you call him and you're like, Hey, we help me move some furniture. And they're like, uh, uh, wrong number. <laughs> you know? no, absolutely. And I think one of the things I, I talk to veterans a lot and, and say, you know, you, what are the things you don't realize when you're in the military is how much of who you are is tied up into what you do, that your mm -hmm. sense of purpose, that who you are as an individual and then while you might have some trauma from ongoing operations, from things that went wrong, just from, you know, combat itself is corrosive, right? No matter, no matter what you do, everybody around you has the same thing and there's a community there. And so what you don't realize is when you separate from the military, often you go back home or you go off back to do your job, you've now split yourself or divided yourself from the only people who really understand what you've been through, what you're going through now. And you find yourself alone and trying to wrestle with it. And I think that's one of the reasons why the, the veteran suicide rate is so heartbreakingly high mm -hmm. is because they go from this community of people where they're understood and you can you don't have to explain everything, anything, because everybody knows to a community of very well-meaning people who have no idea what you've been through or what you're going through. And, and so I think that's one of the. What I try and push folks to a lot is to stay connected, to stay connected to their fellow veterans, to not let those relationships atrophy. Because when, when I got out, I was dealing with some of the repercussions for what happened in Afghanistan. And it wasn't until a, a good friend of mine now, um, Nate Self, who was an Army Ranger, and he was um, during the Battle of Anaconda, um, went in to go get um, Neil Roberts and uh, the... Uh, Chapman's first name escapes me, but the two folks who had been left behind from a different Chinook and his helicopter was shot down and he lost a, a number of guys and he wrote a book called Two Wars about it. And he just, he listened to me. And at the end of it, he just looked at me and he said, it's not your fault. What happened isn't your fault. And mm. there was nothing that was magic in those words, but the fact that they came from somebody who had been there and done that and was dealing with the same thing they meant a whole lot more to me than the same words that maybe my wife had said to me or other friends that didn't. And so there's, there's power in your experiences and power in what you've done. And you need to be willing to share that with other veterans for sure. There you go. There you go. We had Jason Ken Kander on the show. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He ran for president uh, okay. out back, but he, he talked about his crisis of PTSD and he didn't think he had any because he didn't see any really yeah. what he thought in his mind rough things but you know it, it's a it's a big factor we've had some other people on the show that have talked about different ways they're mentally trying to help 
veterans yeah. deal with PTSD. But uh, it, it, the experience that you have and being able to pour them into a book and, and give veterans and, and other people uh, an enlightenment and, and pay homage to their service, I, I think is astounding. Um, anything more you want to tease out on uh, that book or any of the future books you have coming out since you're putting out at least three this year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Forgotten War, April 25th. Um, it is, like I said, it is um, the most, has the most heart in any of the books. I think you get to see Matt and Frodo in some amazing different ways. And then also a reflection of Afghanistan and what happened there and the way that the men and women who served there view it. And so, would love for you to pick that up and would love to hear about it um, from you. And then after that, a month later, I've got Forgotten War that comes out, or excuse me, uh, uh, Flashpoint that comes out. And that's my next Tom Clancy book. And that one takes place in large part in the South China Sea. And, um, and then finally, Weapons Grade comes out in September, I think. I'm, I'm furiously finishing that now and I have to turn it in in a week and, and that'll be out as well. And so get three books from me. Um, you can choose one of the three. Hopefully you'll like at least one of them. So I, I tell a kid with my friend all the time where if you can't write a good book, you write a lot of books. And so hopefully one of those books will be a good book to somebody. Well, you're being very modest. Uh, I think people love your work and enjoy it. And uh, that's what keeps them coming back. So there you go. We'll be looking for a whole mess of books out of you in the future. Are you going to yeah. keep doing three a year or more a year or or last so, year? What's the plan? What I, so what I know is that uh, after I turn in this Clancy book, I'll start work on my first Mitch Rapp book, which comes out in 2024. Right. And uh, what I told my editor, the long-suffering other Tom we've talked to, is that I'll, I'll check back with him in December. And so it might be that I get to write another Clancy book. It might be that I write another Matt Drake book. It might be that I write a standalone. But I intend to write something, but not all three at the same time. So again, my website, donbentleybooks.com, I try and let my subscribers know first what I'm thinking and, and what to expect next from me. So follow me there. There you go. Well, Don, it's been wonderful having you on the show and brilliant discussion. And please come back for your future books. We'd love to have Absolutely. you and get plugs in for all that stuff and, and talk about what goes into them. I'm sure the audience will love it. No, thank you so much, Chris. It's been great. There you go. And thanks to my audience for tuning in. We couldn't do it without you. So refer to your family, friends, and relatives. You know, the Chris Voss Show is the family that loves you but doesn't judge you, uh, at least not as harshly as your mother-in-law. Anyway, go to goodreads.com for just uh, Chris Voss. Goodreads. Uh, wait, wait, I did Goodreads. YouTube.com and LinkedIn. You know the drill. Anyway, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Be good to each other. Stay safe, and we'll see you guys next time.